0: The values by which we live our lives reflects the value that we place upon ourselves. Paul obviously had seen a lot of problems at the church in Corinth and heard about it. And the church at Corinth just was in such upheaval. And he wrote this letter to begin to share with them some things that were just totally out of whack in their fellowship in the way that they looked at God, and the way that they looked and interrelated with each other, and they needed to be corrected. And so he shares with them just how to do it. And tonight, we're going to see real quickly that Paul gives the advice he does in the first few verses of 1 Corinthians chapter 6 for this reason. I'm going to put these out first and then I'll come back to them. He tells the Corinthians and us that we need to live by this set of values because if we don't, living any other way is beneath us as a child of God. It is beneath us. Secondly, he reminds us that as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ, we have a different set of values that we live by than those without Christ. And finally, we need to live this way because... If we don't, it will destroy our witness and testimony for the Lord. That in a sense, what Paul's going to tell us as Christians tonight, as he told the church at Corinth, is that God's reputation is more important than our reputation. So with that, notice the words of Paul beginning in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. He says, When any of you has a legal dispute with another, does he dare go to court before the unrighteous rather than before the saints? Or do you not know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent to settle trivial suits? Now, a couple things before we dive into this. First of all, this passage has been misapplied and misinterpreted down through the years. Let's be clear that in the context here, what Paul is not teaching is that it's wrong for a Christian to ever go to court. That's not what it's teaching. And it's not teaching even that there aren't times where a Christian should not seek some kind of legal uh, action against another Christian. If, if a law is broken, if there's something criminal involved, then it is obviously based upon Romans 13 and other passages of Scripture. It is our duty to carry out those things. But the words that Paul uses here for legal disputes is literally questionable dealings or transactions between Christians in the church at Corinth. In other words, these weren't criminal activities. But somewhere along the line, as usually is true in any local church, there were times where Christians in that church would either try to get together and do something together have some kind of transaction together, and at some point it went awry. And what they were doing then in Corinth is, obviously, instead of going to the church, and within the church with their brothers and sisters in Christ seeking mediation, and seeking someone to come together and, and, you know, bring some kind of compromise and mediation to this disagreement that these two Christians are having, they went to the court system in Corinth. And back in those days, you know, it's not much different than it is today where, you know, everybody sues everybody and and, and everybody, you know, goes after everybody. And in those days, court proceedings were a very public thing. Instead of going to football games like we do today, they actually, the whole city would turn out sometimes for court proceedings. So Paul's saying, you you realize then what you're doing to the testimony of the church and to the testimony of Christ, when in a sense you as Christians are airing your dirty laundry before the world instead of dealing with it in-house. In fact, the words he uses in verse 1 when he says, does he dare go to court, speaks of bold, extreme conduct. In other words, Paul's saying, how dare you? How dare you as a Christian go to the legal court system in Corinth to settle a dispute that should be settled in the church and kept within the church? Notice a couple reasons why. First of all, he says, Why would you go to the unrighteous rather than before the saints? And then in verse 2, he says, Don't you know who you are? Don't you know that the saints are going to judge the world to come? The word judge means to preside over with authority to render decisions. We know that the Bible teaches that the future of Christians who follow Jesus Christ is that we will rule and reign with Christ in His kingdom. And part of that responsibility is we're going to be making decisions and governing and presiding over the world to come. And Paul is saying to the Christians in Corinth, don't you realize the future that God has for you? Don't you realize the value that God places on you? Don't you realize how God looks at you and how He can work through you? Why would you ever go to someone who doesn't even know God when you who know God clearly have the wisdom from God? And earlier on in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he talked to the Christians about having the mind of Christ and having the wisdom of the Word of God. And he says, so why would you do that? He goes on to say, and if the world is to be judged by you, are you not competent? The word means Fit. To settle trivial suits. Things that should be settled within the church rather than going outside the church. Now, this brings back me back to a point that I've been making in Romans and in 1 Corinthians. And the fact that in the church culture in which we find ourselves today, this is still very difficult. Because again... Most churches aren't built on a foundation and fabric where we truly are looking at ourselves as a family and we allow God to knit us together. And when we do have things that come up and problems that come up between us, we're willing to stay there and work them out. No, the church culture today is pretty much made up a lot of spectators, consumers, and people who just want to go to a service on an hour on Sunday, be entertained, and not really be accountable or engaged, and have any really depth of relationships with the people that they go to church with. And that's what then, obviously, then you go, well, yeah, how how do you fit something like that? Because... The implication is, the, the understanding from Paul would be that the church is made up of people who are so interconnected and so intertwined and knit together that they could actually do this and be willing to do this rather than having a disagreement with their brother or sister in Christ in a local church and saying, bye, I'm going to another church, which is what we have happened today. <laughs> and it, one of the reasons why is because we're not tied into each other to the depth that we should be as Christians, and and certainly to the point where we would allow others, our brothers and sisters in Christ, to settle some things for us, and that we would be okay with that. See, it's almost like we have to totally change the mindset and culture of Christianity today when it comes to how people look at church, but I still think it can be done. And I think it's even happening here at the Oasis. Slow, steady, but it's happening. And it happens in other churches as well. Notice he goes on to say in verse 3, Do you not know that we will judge angels? Again, meeting presider. You know, we look at angels today as these powerful, you know, beings, and they are. But the Bible teaches that the future for us as the saints of God is that the angels will actually be under our authority in the kingdom to come. So again, Paul is trying to get us to see who we are. And many times as believers, we forget who we are and what our future is with Christ. And even to the point of knowing that who we are in the future should also place some value on who we, how we look at ourselves and how we look at our brothers and sisters in Christ now. Because Paul's whole point is, What God has planned for you in the future should also affect the way you interrelate and react and respond to each other now. Is that what's happening? He says, why not ordinary matters? And the word ordinary simply means pertaining to this life. If God is giving us the opportunity and the responsibility and the privilege to rule the world to come, then Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, then... If you're going to do that one day, then how comes you can't settle earthly matters today? So he says in verse 4, if you have ordinary lawsuits, do you appoint as judges those who have no standing in the church? In other words, he's saying so in Corinth, they were going to a judge or a court where these people did not know God. They carried no weight in the church. They had no influence in the church. And yet they were going to them to settle disputes. And Paul's just sitting there scratching his head going, don't you guys get it? You as Christians have the spirit of God living in you, right? And you as Christians have the word of God living in, you know, in your heart, right? And you have the mind of Christ available to you. How comes you need to go to somebody who doesn't even know God then? Shouldn't you know how to settle things and come to some kind of reasonable compromise and mediation in these tiffs that sometimes happens between Christians? And notice he says, I say this to your shame. Very interesting. The word shame in the Greek language means weakness. So again, get where Paul's coming from. He says, you you guys think you're spiritually strong in Corinth. But because you're acting this way, you're actually showing that you're not as spiritually strong as you think you are. If you were spiritually strong, you would be able and you would want to handle these things in-house. But your weakness is being manifested in that you're not even looking within to handle these things. You're going outside the church to handle these things to people who aren't even believers. He says, Is there no one among you wise enough to settle disputes between fellow Christians? Again, the word wise means skilled in navigating life. He says, Is there no one in that local church at Corinth that that people look up to that has the skill of being able to navigate life and have the moral authority to stand in, in between two Christians and make some kind of decision? A decision that... Everybody goes, yeah, that that's the way that should have been handled. He says, is there not anyone in the church that can do that? And again, the implication from Paul is there should even be more than a couple people in every local church. The church should be filled with people who can do this because we're going to do it one day in the future. So that's why we need to know the mind of God and have the word of God in our hearts and in our minds, because we should be able to. Do this and do it well. If any group of people should be able to navigate life at a high level and be able to settle things with clarity and and to be able to see what others cannot see, it should be Christians. But Paul says instead, verse 6, does a Christian sue a Christian and do this before unbelievers? See, Paul's saying, isn't this beneath us? Don't we live by a different set of values? And isn't this a terrible testimony and witness to the world? When we as Christians air our dirty laundry before others? It says it shouldn't be that way. The fact that you have lawsuits among yourselves demonstrates that you have already been defeated. Wow. Paul's saying you've already been thrown for a loss. The word also literally means to decrease instead of moving forward and making progress. It's like you're showing you're going backwards as a church, not forwards. And then notice he says, why not rather be wronged. Wow. (laughs) That's certainly a, a value that's not in the world. But Paul's saying, don't we live by a different set of values? Shouldn't we as a Christian be willing to absorb loss for the sake of Christ and His church instead of always, well, that's my right? Going back to even the message on Sunday. That's what the word wronged means to suffer damage, to absorb loss. Why not rather be cheated or deprived? In other words, again, he's saying, wouldn't it be more, wouldn't it be better for the sake of Christ and for His church for you to take a loss as a Christian than to always try to make sure that you're getting what comes to you? I realize that is not the value system that we see all around us. But Paul's saying that should be the value system of Christians. He says, you yourselves though, wrong and cheat. And you do this to your brothers and your sisters. Wow. So in the first part of this passage, he's just simply reminding us, guys. Don't forget who you are. And the reason that they're acting this way, one reason Paul's saying is because they have forgotten who they really are in Christ. They're going to judge the world one day. They're going to judge angels. They're going to rule and reign with Christ, but they can't even settle the smallest things between each other in the local church. Every time there's a a problem, they go outside the church to handle it. And Paul's saying, it should never be that way that the local church should be filled with people with power and wisdom and moral authority and spiritual clarity to the point where when things come up between believers, they can be settled within the church rather than outside the church. Secondly, notice this. He says, do you not know, verse 9, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Literally led astray. The sexually immoral, idolaters, adulterers, passive homosexual partners, practicing homosexuals, thieves, the greedy, drunkards, the verbally abusive and swindlers will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, the first time I read this in the context a long time ago, I was like, how does that fit into what Paul just said? And then God began to give me at least a little illumination on this. One reason is because Paul is saying, you see the distinction here? Not everybody's going to inherit the kingdom of God. The teaching that everybody's going to go to heaven one day is not biblical. There will be groups of people that will not inherit the kingdom of God. And you're different. You are inheriting the kingdom of God. In fact, it's already your inheritance. It already belongs to you. Shouldn't you be different? Shouldn't you live in a distinctive way? I think that's part of what Paul's using it here for. But I think there's another reason why. Lest the Corinthians or us get lifted up in pride and then begin to go the other way like, yeah, you're right. You know what? We are really special. We are going to judge the world one day. And those rotten you know, people, are there. who are they? Paul says, yeah, there's going to be people who don't inherit the kingdom of God, but it's not because they didn't have the opportunity. It's because they rejected Christ. And notice what Paul says in verse 11 to the Corinthians. Some of you once lived this way. Now, in this passage that may seem a little negative, Paul's actually giving hope. And the reason he's giving hope is because that first part where he talks about all those in a general description of those who will not inherit the kingdom of God, he's telling us we've got to accept God's perspective. That's where hope starts. If we don't understand that we are sinners separated from a holy God, And that Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, came to save us because there is that sin that separates us. And that there there is something terribly wrong in our broken relationship with God. And the only way that can be restored is through Christ. Until we accept that perspective, until we accept God's way of looking at it, there is no hope. If we think somehow that we can work our way to heaven... Or that we're not so bad and somehow we're going to keep just getting better and better and all of that. We will never have hope. But the hope lies in the fact when we get to the point where we go, God, you're right. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And if it wouldn't be for your grace and mercy, none of us would be saved. And then that opens up the door to see the next point that Paul makes in this passage, which is once we accept God's perspective on the world and on us as human beings, then we can begin to believe in God's power to transform and change our life. In other words, Paul's saying, just like you in Corinth, you didn't have to stay that way, did you? Because once you turn to Christ, you experience the life-transforming power, and you are no longer the way you used to be. And can we all say amen to that? That's, that's the hope of the gospel. <laughs> that's the power of the gospel that Paul talks about in Romans 1.16 that he's not ashamed of. It is the power to change lives. But that power will never be activated in any life if we first don't accept God's perspective on who we really are. That we are a sinner. Before a holy God. And the only way that we can be changed or transformed is to acknowledge our sin and acknowledge our broken relationship with God. And accept the only way of salvation, the only way to bridge that, which is through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when we do that, the power of God is unleashed in our lives. And what Paul's reminding them of here is that, you know, some of you in Corinth, you used to be an idolater, but you're not an idolater anymore. You used to be greedy, but you're not greedy anymore. And it reminds us that when Christ comes into our life, as Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4.16, we are new creations. Our life is to be characterized by transformation. And then he also goes on to say that we not only need to accept God's perspective and believe in God's power, but we've also got to believe in God's promise. And that's where the hope continues to flow. Because notice he says, some of you once lived this way, but you were washed, cleansed, forgiven, You were sanctified, purified, consecrated, and you were justified, declared righteous. In the courtroom of God, God said, not guilty because of Christ. Do you believe that tonight? See, that's where the hope comes from. The hope comes from accepting God's perspective on who we are, which unleashes God's power in our life, which gives us hope that we don't have to stay the way we are, we don't have to be stuck the way we are, we can change through God, and then we accept His promise that He will forgive us and wash us and sanctify us and justify us. And He does all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. That's hope, folks. That's hope. And Paul is simply pointing this out because he said, in the context, have you forgotten who you are? This is why you're suing each other. This is why you're treating each other. This is why you're dragging your dirty laundry before the world. You have forgotten who you are. And you once were this way, but you are no longer this way, and therefore you're no longer to be acting this way. You're to be acting differently. The way you're acting is beneath you as a Christian. You're a child of God. You live by a different value system. And what about your witness and testimony to the world? Which then brings us to the final passage of this scripture, of this chapter, verse 12, where he says, Listen, all things are lawful for me as a Christian. The word means simply they're present before us to enjoy. God gives us the world to enjoy. And He wants us to enjoy it, but Paul says not. Everything is beneficial, helpful, profitable spiritually for us. Unbridled freedom is bondage. And Paul's saying, be careful, Christian That yes, you have been free and you have liberty, but be careful that this new freedom that you have found in Christ doesn't lead you back into bondage. Because God does give us the power to choose. Make sure that you and I are always making the choices of what is profitable in our lives, what is helpful to us spiritually. Because not all things are. Everything's out there but not all things are profitable. And then he says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be controlled by anything. I will not be brought under the power of anything other than the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not going to leave my life of bondage to sin, come to Christ, have Him set me free, and then go back into bondage again. Slavery. Paul said, that's not what the christian life is all about food is for the stomach and the stomach is for food but god will do away with both the body is not for sexual immorality but for the lord and the lord for the body and he's saying now let me get a little bit more specific because this was a real problem in corinth and it's a real problem in our society today and it's a real problem in the church Because when God gives you this body to live in, He gives it to you as a Christian so that you use it to worship Him and glorify Him and honor Him. And obviously in the context, to not sue your Christians outside of the church. Don't use your body for such things. Your body, my body, is the Lord's. And then he says, Now, God indeed raised up the Lord and he will raise us up by his power. And he reminds us that this life is not all there is. And when it comes to making choices that what we do in this body, we can be so so short sighted. We can be tempted to forget the eternal ramifications and consequences of our choices and decisions and just live for the moment, which is what the world does. And Paul is reminding the Corinthians and reminding us, especially when it comes to our body, be careful that you're not just living for the moment, but that you're keeping eternity in view as you make these choices and decisions. And God gives you the power to choose. He goes on to say in verse 15, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Should I take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Paul's saying, and here's something else we need to remember as Christians. Everything we do with our body, Christ comes along with us. Christ is right, Just like we say, you know, Christ is here. Let's sing. Let's worship him as if he's here. Well, he is. In fact, we can't get away from Christ. For the Christian, Christ is everywhere we are because he lives in us through his spirit. And so Paul's just saying, so the things that you choose to do and the things that you say and suing your brothers and sisters, don't you realize Christ is there because you're there? And then he says, or do you not know that anyone who is united with a prostitute is one body with her? For it is said that two will become one flesh. Just like in our society, you have people who talk about sex in the context of recreational sex or casual sex. And, and the Bible is simply saying there is no such thing. You can't compartmentalize your sexual life as a Christian. Because Paul is saying that sex with another individual is more than just Physical. The world says it's just a physical act. The Bible teaches that it is a physical, emotional, and spiritual union between two people. It is way beyond just physical. And that's why today you have people who just look at sex so casually and they're using their body in a way that degrades the value that God placed on the human body when he created and especially for a child of God. As we're going to see in a moment, who is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Paul is saying to Chris, 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 the Corinthians and to all Christians, don't you realize who you are? You're the temple of God. You are the holy of holies of God now. The holy of holies that existed in the tabernacle in the Old Testament done away with. Because the Spirit of God lives in every Christian, you are now the holy of holies. You as an individual Christian are the temple of God. And when we do things with our body, whether it's sexually or otherwise, we forget who we are. And again, it goes back to what I said earlier. The values by which we live reflects the value of what we think of ourselves. People who don't think much of themselves engage in all kinds of terrible behavior. And one of the reasons the Bible says is sad to say because they don't think much of themselves. If they did, they wouldn't engage in it because they would look at themselves and their bodies at a much higher, honorable, valuable level. That's how God views it. That's how God views them. And then he goes on to say the one united with the Lord is one spirit with him. Literally glued together. So he says flee sexual immorality. Every sin a person commits is outside of the body, but the immoral person sins against his own body. Sin is sin, yes. But the Bible clearly teaches that there are some sins that are unique in their character. And sexual sin is one of those in the Bible. It is unique in its character in that it violates the sacredness of the body like nothing else does. It is internally destructive. And sexual sin, like other sins, have a cumulative effect. In other words, the longer someone is involved with it, the more destructive internally that person becomes. Now, I want to say this before we close tonight and wrap up these last couple verses. You may be here tonight. You may know of someone who's fallen in this area as a Christian. We all need to be reminded that there's forgiveness with God. And with God, there's always the opportunity to start over and make a fresh start. God simply wants us to acknowledge it and turn to him and realize that by the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us, we have the capacity and resource to be able to overcome whatever's dragging us down and keeping us from the life that God truly wants us to enjoy. Which is why he goes on to say in verse 19, Do you not know that your body is the temple, literally the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? Don't forget that, Christian. No matter what you and I struggle with, we have the paraclete. The one who comes alongside, literally lives inside of us to help us. And anytime we need his help for whatever it is, the Holy Spirit of God lives within us to help us and empower us. And then he says, and you are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God with. Your body. Literally, it means that we have been transferred from one owner to another. In the marketplace, Jesus Christ literally went to the marketplace, the public marketplace, and and he literally bought us out of the marketplace and transferred us from being in bondage to sin and in slavery to sin and come be his. Yes, we're now his servant. We are now his slave. We are slaves of Christ, but being a slave of Christ. There's nothing better than that. Because Jesus Christ is the most loving, caring master anyone could ever have. And only has our best interests at heart. And so Paul is saying to the Corinthians and to us, guys, don't forget who you are. Don't forget how God views you. Don't forget the value that He places upon you and your body and, and who you are as a human being. He He values you so much and He wants you to live that way rather than settling for what's less. And so all of us as Christians, because we all forget who we are sometimes. We forget how God looks at us and for what God has planned for us in the future. And when we do that, we can get caught up In living beneath ourselves as children of God. And in living by the value system of the world rather than the value system of God. And in not realizing what kind of witness or testimony we may be leaving behind with the choices and the decisions that we make. This this is what Paul wanted to talk about. And we're going to close tonight in a little bit different way. I want you to look back at verse 15 of chapter 6 for a moment. Where Paul says that we are literally the members of Christ. The word member there in the Greek is literally limb. Which is I think where we hear the concept that we as Christians are literally the hands and feet of Christ. That's biblical. Because that's exactly what... 1 Corinthians 6:15 is saying we are the members literally the limbs of Christ. And and Paul I think also is saying in this passage instead of focusing your energies and your attention on these worldly things focus your attention and energy on being Christ to one another. So with that, Lynn I'm going to ask you and Joel to come on up here. We're going to we're going to be the hands and feet of Christ tonight. I want to introduce you to this mom and her son tonight, if you don't know them. Uh, This is Lynn Andrews and her little son, Joel. And uh, tomorrow, Joel goes into the hospital for a very serious surgery on Friday. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, they're going to fit a halo on him, and then on Friday at 1 o'clock, Uh, He's going to have surgery. And I told Lynn, I just thought it would be just like the body of Christ to have prayer for this special young man tonight and for us to just wrap our prayers around him. And I also told her this afternoon, I said, a lot of folks, because she's only been coming to the Oasis for a couple months, we knew her, I've known Lynn for a couple years, but she's only been coming to the Oasis for a couple months. So a lot of you folks don't know her. And I told her this afternoon, I said, I want to bring her and Joel up in front because I want our church family to be aware of who this young gal is and her precious son and what they're going through because she not only is going to need our prayers, but she's going to need some help. She's going to be down at that hospital for about the next month as he recovers. And I just want our church family to just do what we can to try to ease the burden that this young gal going to have during these Weeks and, and months ahead. So, anyway, with that said, do you think I should mention Wendy at this point? So, many of you know Wendy Irwin, who is part of our Oasis Church family. She has sort of taken it upon herself to be the point person. So, if you would like to help Jo Lynn, get in contact with Wendy. I don't want us to all bombard Jo that's going to be too much. But if we go through Wendy, Wendy then can try to figure this out and do it in an orderly way. Crystal also, our children's director, said that she will more than be there too. So I think between Crystal and Wendy, we can see what we can do as a church family to help, help them out. But I just want us to pray for them now. And I'm just going to ask uh, uh, Bill... And Tony and Scott, our three elders, would you guys mind coming up here too? And I know that the rest of you are up here, but I, I, I don't want a hundred people up here crowding around. It's going to flip me out, much less Joel and Joel. So, But I want all of us to join in prayer, and we're just going to lay hands on little Joel tonight. And we're just going to ask for God to be with him in a special way as he goes into the hospital for surgery here tomorrow and then his surgery on friday so can we bow for a word of prayer please god we just come to you right now and we're just so thankful that we can come to you lord and just ask for you to help little joel and jolene uh, joel during these next weeks and months ahead god we just know that you're going to be with him in his surgery and guide the surgeon's hands and god we just pray that that they would just both have your peace and comfort and grace. And God, we just pray that the surgery would just be so successful and accomplish, Lord, what they're looking for it to accomplish. And may they sense that we are 100% with them and supporting them during this time as a church family. Help us, Lord, to be your hands and feet, to be your limbs for these folks in the days ahead. We thank you for Lynn for her faith in you. And, Lord, we just pray that that faith would be strengthened in the days ahead. And once again, that little Joel would just be wrapped by your, your presence and power. And, and Lord, that, that, again, everything would go so well and that the recovery, even after the surgery, would just go remarkably well. We just thank you, God, that you are the great physician. You're the one who created us and you are the one who can heal us. And we just pray for healing for Joel yes. through this surgery. God, that he would experience life on a higher level than he has ever to this point. That this would be a surgery that would help him to experience more of life than he has up to this point. And we'll give you the praise and glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you, folks. God bless you. And have a great week. Thank Thank you.